a very special episode of Wizards After Dark. I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I genuinely, really am so excited to do this episode with you guys. We're, right we're more excited than you are, Fred. Wow. I'm just wow. excited to see two other people besides my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was Steve Buckhans and Phil Chenier. We got both of them on a Zoom call right now. I'm looking. I'm looking right at him. Buck has this, Buck and I have the same microphone, which I think validates me as a broadcaster. Completely. <laughs> Clearly, I think I'm already here. I'm. I'm really excited to have you guys on the pod. Thanks so much for coming, guys. This is great. Thank you. Um, you know, it's nice to talk to somebody that, you know, is credible, that knows what they're talking about, and is into the Wizards like uh, we all are. And I know you're doing that, so that's good. Well, credible. We'll 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 play loose with the definition of. Uh, <laughs> incredible how are you guys doing like phil what are what are you doing with your life right now i'm like everybody else on hold uh trying to maintain some sense of contact with friends and relatives by phone and, and facetime um you know i'm from the bay area so i talk to people back in the bay area periodically just to kind of make sure everybody's all right and you know so far it's been nothing good news but uh I think like everybody, kind of weary with this uh, restriction. Not that I'm willing to come off of it. I understand the importance of it. I want to stay that way until they get this thing under control. But it, it really is, I, I guess I don't want to say life-changing, but it really does um, change the way you certainly appreciate um, you know, life as we had it uh, in terms of moving around, going to this event, that event, being able to go out to dinner. You know, I told Buck yesterday, I hadn't seen, I hadn't laid eyes on his face in person in about two months. We went to dinner uh, about two or three months ago. And, um, you know, normally with he and I, that's that's at least a, a once a month kind of ordeal. We get together, if, if nothing else, to drink somewhere. But, uh, you know, even my grandkids, uh, I have to, keep that distance from them. In fact, the other day I went to see him and uh, my grandson got about three feet from me and he said, oh, you know, I mean, he just turned nine. So he, I mean, he knows what the rules are, but your instincts are, you know, to hug your, your grandpa or, or, or your grandson or your daughter or son. And, you know, we, we've been in a very restricted mode. So it's, it's, it's frustrating, but like I said, I, I'm hoping and praying. I see all the positive messages on TV and whatnot, and I hope we do get through this and um, look back at this as a time of uh, certainly learning to appreciate those things that we have. Well, my instincts are to hug Phil when I see him. I don't care, I, you know. <laughs> Hell, I might even give you a kiss. Good. Well, that won't be the first time. <laughs> I owe you one anyway. <laughs> and hopefully not the last. Uh, I'm doing the same thing, Fred. I mean, we're, we're thank God, my you know, my family's well. We're and we're doing, you know, I think what we're supposed to be doing. We haven't been out much. We've been out to support local restaurants and pick up some dinner. Uh, I've been to the grocery store a couple of times. I was stunned to see so many people in there not wearing masks or gloves. Um, that that was really um, disappointing to me. So I think we're doing what I consider to be the right thing, which is to protect ourselves and others. And, um, uh, you know, my, my mom is 91 and she's, uh, she's afraid she hasn't been out of her place for uh, a couple of months. Obviously we have caregiver service there. And so, I mean, she's healthy, but she's 91 and she's afraid not so much of the virus. She's just afraid cause she's 91. But, um, 
but she's okay. So we're, we're all uh, doing what we're doing and hanging in there and nobody has been sick that we know of or has anything. And uh, just like Phil said, trying to wade through this and, and get back to work at some point and hopefully everybody can stay as healthy as possible. It's, but it's tragic because it's unprecedented and uh, who knows what to expect really uh, in the future. You got to hope for the best, but we don't know what's going to happen in the fall. They keep talking about this coming back and all of that. So hopefully at some point there'll be some cure or vaccine for this where people can have a little more peace of mind and be a little more healthy. So the reason I want to have you two on, I, I, Having you two on together was incredibly important to me. No, I, you know what? I was going to say no offense to Buck, but honestly, all offense to Buck. I don't want just Buck. I want, I want you guys both, both doing it together on here. And because what, Buck, you were 22 years as Wizards play by play, right? Yep. And Phil, how many, how many years did you two do the broadcast together? We did 20. about 19, 20. No, 20 years together. 20 years. So you guys. Last, my last two years with Kara. And 20 years with Phil, and Phil's been doing did it for 33 years. So you guys, two decades of building up a report. Yep. I have I have very mild experience doing broadcasting. I did play by play when I was in college, and I always thought when I did it though that more important than how good the broadcaster I was with was on a technical basis, how good of a actual broadcaster he was, how technical he was with the way he called the games, that sort of stuff. I always thought more important than that was my actual personal rapport with that person, how I got along with that person. Just the actual chemistry made the broadcast so much better. Even if that person was technically a worse broadcaster than somebody else, if I'm not even talking about hating someone, but if I just didn't have that chemistry where, you know, like when you guys lead each other into jokes. I'm sure, Buck, when you say something, I'm sure you know, because you know Phil well, that he is going to respond with something pithy or funny or talk back at you or whatever. And you guys were famous for those sorts of exchanges. How, how far into the broadcast career did you, did you realize when you guys were in the booth, like, oh, like we, we got something here. This is good. That's, that's a tough question, Phil, isn't it, to answer? I, because well, you know, we, had, we were talking about this yesterday, but, you know, before he Buck came on full time, he came on and he replaced uh, uh, Mel Proctor, especially when Mel was doing baseball. He was doing Orioles and the Bullets, and and he sometimes he did have some other uh, conflicts. And a couple times James Brown stepped in, but for the most part, it was it was Buck. And I'd I'd say right then, you know, I felt comfortable be, because it's one thing to to you know, be comfortable with somebody over a long period of time. But I was still on a regular basis doing it with with Mel. But those times that Buck would fill in, I felt very comfortable, you know, and I felt like we had rapport. And of course, he may tell you the story about when we first met and he was roughing. And he referenced that when we when we first met. Of course, at that point, I didn't realize, I didn't remember the story, but well, I didn't remember him per, per se. I remember the story that happened, but so, I mean, and, and he has, I can't help but throw out this respect. Mel had, I mean, uh, Buck has such a, a tremendous sense of recall. And, and I think, cause Mel did too. And I think that's a big part of play by play guys because they can go back well 10 years ago in, in this game and on January the 4th, uh, it was two o'clock, and I'm saying I, 
how do you remember all that stuff, you know? And, 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 but, but he's very accurate in, in terms of his um, recall. And uh, so that was just another part of it. But I, 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 would, I can very easily say that I was comfortable with him back then. And then when it was made permanent, it was an even easier transition because, like I said, I'd gotten used to his cadence. And, and you know, I'll be the first to tell you, Buck uh, is a lifelong, you know, announcer. Uh, I mean, he was born to announce. So for me, I had to kind of, you know, work my way into it. I had to learn stuff. I had to make mistakes and then bounce back. But it's good to have somebody that knows the business as well as he does and did that would, you know, give you some some guidance. And sometimes he'll give me just general guidance. Sometimes he'll give me guidance based on how he and I interact, what's best for he and I. And, you know, we would discuss that and, and figure that out. We spent so much time together. I mean, you know, after game dinner. That's the other thing I like about him is he's a late night person. So <laughs> it's nothing for me to get a text from him at one in the morning because well, that's he knows early. I'm probably up and and I know he's up, you know. Yeah, one is early. Um yeah, to to, to, to what Phil said, um and to what you mentioned, Fred, also, uh there there's a mixture of both, not only uh the rapport you have with somebody else, but it does help and I've done a number of sports and a number of uh, had a number of partners in different venues and play-by-play. Um, it does matter whether you're with a professional broadcaster. Um, that does help a lot uh, because if you're with somebody that's inexperienced or that's not really a broadcaster, and of course, as a as a professional broadcaster and as a play-by-play guy, you're paired with guys that generally were either athletes or coaches. Okay, so most of them were not professional broadcasters many of them learn to be like phil but at especially if they're young or they're new they're not professional broadcasters they don't really know anything about that business they have to be taught and learn to to work into it and and the good ones do um rarely do you find somebody like tony romo who just comes off the street and is a smash hit uh even and doesn't really know anything about broadcasting uh, but then you find other people like Pat Summerall, who was a professional football player, who became a great, skilled, talented play-by-play guy. So uh, it does help to have both. But the rapport is huge. And I would also echo what Phil said. First of all, being able to do games before I actually started with the Bullets, uh, filling in for Mel Proctor, that was big. But uh, Phil is so easygoing to work with that um, – you know, it's it, it's it's easy to do games with him. And the more we did games, the more we understood each other's cadence, not to step on each other, things like that. I had to tell him a couple of times about stepping on my last second calls because uh, you know, that's a pet peeve. Of, that's a pet peeve of mine. You know, when I when I listen to a game, uh, and you never hear it. This is interesting, Fred. You never hear this on television. You never hear the color guy screaming over the play-by-play play-by-play guy. The only time you hear that is on the radio, and it's generally in a local broadcast, like a like a local college team or or, or a local pro team. Okay, so so back in the day, you might have heard uh, Sonny Jurgensen yelp over a Frank Herzog call of a Redskin touchdown, uh, and I always had a pet peeve about that because. Um, and that's the only place that it that it get, you can get away with it. You won't hear that on a network broadcast. You'll never hear 
Chris Collinsworth scream over an Al Michael call at the end of a game. You won't hear it because the color guy knows not to do that. It doesn't sound good. There's nothing worse than having two guys talking over one another. That's the worst thing you can have. It, it, it's a no-win for everybody because you can't understand either one, and it just ruins the play-by-play guy's call. And I know that all of my colleagues feel the same way about this. So there were a couple times because Phil was so excited, he's screaming and yelling, and I just had to say, hey, listen, let, let me make the call at the end. And, and this goes for really any call during a game. Let me make the call, and then I'll shut up, and you can talk for as long as you want, especially on TV. It's not like you got to get back to the action. People are watching the game. So let me make the call, then you can have it, and you talk for as long as you want. And, and once we all understood that, uh, then it was just natural. And then, then the other thing that enters into it, Fred, is um, genuine friendship. You know, when you, first of all, when you do what we did for 20 years, you live with somebody basically for six months out of the year. I saw more of Phil than I did my, my family. And um, they become your family. I mean, like, like he said, and me and him, you know, were tight. I mean, we, we, we hung out together during games or during road trips when sometimes we didn't even hang out with, with uh, Dave Johnson or, or Glenn Consor, who were our counterparts uh, and our colleagues. Uh, sometimes they do their own thing, but Phil and I always did our own thing. And a lot of times with our other guys, our, our producer, Rich Wolf, our director, Chris Crane, our graphic guy, David Duvall, or Matt Mastracci, or whoever it happened to be, we sometimes would hang, we would all go out to dinner. But if those guys weren't going out, me and Phil always went out together. And so you develop a friendship which comes across on the air. And I, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, and I know had said to Phil, you guys sound like you're genuinely friends on the air. Well, that's true. That comes through. I mean, you can't hide that with your personality. And so that also has something to do with, I think, Fred, a successful uh, duo or trio or whatever it happens to be, a successful broadcast is the chemistry and also the, whether you're not you're genuinely friends with somebody. If you're bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Now, Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-belt waist grooming. While you're probably looking for new things to do at home, why not make Manscaping part of your routine? Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their perfect package 3.0 precision engineered tools for your family jewels. The perfect package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. That's one word. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code, one word, THEATHLETIC. All right, I'm backtracking. I, I need to know the answer to this question. Because I don't right now, and I feel like my life is lacking for it. 
Buck, Buck, what's the referee story? Yeah, you need to know the story. I, I was you have to tell the story. Yeah, Phil <laughs> cringes every time that we tell the story. Oh, uh, yeah. but I, I, I'm going to watch Phil's face right now and just yeah, wait for the cringe. Yeah, you need to know the story. And Phil will sometimes deny this only because his memory won't take him back that far. But I, I stimulate the memory. Um, this is back in the early early 70s, like 73. I was, well, that was my first year of college, 74 in that area. And I used to, and I was a referee back then. I refereed in a, a couple of leagues down in Harrisonburg. I refereed in something called the Shenandoah Valley Officials Association with George Tolliver who you know in a couple of ways. He was an NBA referee for a long time, and his daughter is Christy Tolliver. So uh, George and I used to referee in that league, and I was able to get into this summer league in D.C. called the Urban Coalition League, which was like the Baker League in Philadelphia, big-time summer league that a lot of the pros would play in, a lot of the college players would play in. It was really fabulous. And for somebody like me, as young as I was, to be able to get involved and be a referee in that league was huge because the experience was just um, you, you really couldn't pay for it. We played our games that first year <clears throat> at um, Roosevelt High School, um, which is interesting because that's where my father went to high school. His gym wow. teacher at that high school was, was Red Auerbach. And uh, a year ahead of him was Bowie Kuhn, who used to be the baseball commissioner. And now this was at Roosevelt High School in D.C. Tiny little gymnasium, hot as hell, 90 degrees in there in the middle of summer. That's when we played. So I'm refereeing, and the Bullets had a team in that league uh, that Phil was that played on, which was, I mean, it was unbelievable. The crowds, place the place only held about, um, I don't know what, a thousand people, Couple. Phil. I don't think yeah. even that many. I mean, yeah. it's a high school gym, a tiny no high school gym, yeah, with like a set of bleachers that was like six bleachers high, and it was always packed, especially when the Bullets started playing in this in this league. Phil would play Kevin Greavy, Kevin Porter, Joe Pace. Truck Robinson, some of these really good ball Even players. West played a couple times. Did he really? Yeah, that might yeah. have been before me because I don't remember, but that's incredible. And then they would play other teams, like they would play the University of Maryland would have a team with Lenny Elmore and Brian Magid. And um, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that played on the Maryland team. It was really well, fabulous Tom McMillan, stuff. I guess. And, and, yeah, uh, it was Luke, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, for Mo me, Howell. it was was stunning for me. Here I am looking at these guys who are like Phil, who was, you know, kind of my idol at this point, because Phil is five years older than me. So when I was in college at James Madison, Phil was playing in the NBA and we used to watch him. Me and my roommates would watch and he became my favorite player. I always said he was my, always my second favorite bullet of all time. My favorite was Earl Monroe and he knows that. And so anyway, we're referring, we're doing this game. And, you know, I'm, I'm young, but I'm out, out there refereeing. It's only two guys refereeing. And um, I called a foul on Phil, and he didn't like the call at all. And, <laughs> it was a bad call, actually. <laughs> I do remember it now. <laughs> yes, I it was a bad call. <laughs> right, right. Your whole career. I never touched him. So he turns around and looks at me, and he says, he's stupid motherfucker, just like that. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, my God. Now, but the, the referee part of me is like, I got to hit this guy with a technical. But then the other part of me is that this is my guy. This is Phil. I, I, can't, I can't call him. I can't call a technical on him. It's my guy. And I looked at him, and he looked back at me, and he looked at me, and he went, stupid mother. <laughs> and, 
And at that point, the referee part of me took over 100% and I whacked him. I hit him with a technical. And it was like, I, I just, and, I shook my Fred, head. Fred, the good part about that is all the, I didn't get many technicals because it was too costly. But here, I didn't have to pay a dime. So I didn't yeah, have there was no, the there were no five, consequences, you know? none whatsoever. Uh, and, and, you know, I cowered the rest of the game, and I'm thinking I just hit my favorite player with a technical. I don't know what could become of this. Who would have thought, Fred, really, think about this, who would have thought that some 20 years later uh, in the mid-'90s that we would become – that we would start doing games together and eventually yeah. become partners and then close friends? Who would have dreamed that at the time? And so when he, when he first tells me this story – you know, like I said, this is when he's filling in for Mel Proctor, you know. And I had seen him on Fox on TV doing the sports, so I, I knew him from there. But, of course, I didn't associate with him with 15 years ago as a referee right. at a at a Urban Coalition game. And he tells me this story, and I, my first thought was to deny it. And then I think to myself, ah, he's probably telling the truth, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Plus, I remember – a lot of things I'm like a that. Horrible, horrible person, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. That's so great. And I could, man, Buck, what was like, what were you thinking when you go home later that day? Do you regret the tech? Uh, no, I don't regret it because it's been that many years. The statute of limitations is up on it. But that that day when I went home, that's all I could think about. Are you kidding me? I mean, here's 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 the guy that I've been watching on TV. I'm I'm really I'm not even meeting him. I'm just I'm refereeing in a game that he's playing in for the first time. I don't know him from Adam, but I I love him because he's a great player and I've been watching him. And then I got to hit him with a technical. It's like this is the worst thing that could humanly happen to me. And I just, uh, who knows, and I never thought, I didn't realize, like he said, that I would meet him again and become partners with him. And it was almost as if the very first time that we did a game together, I wanted to say to him, I'm sorry for what I did. I apologize. <laughs> and it's funny because. You apologize and acknowledge your mistake, right? Yeah, well, I could have done that. And in the same, ironically enough, in um same it might have been the same game. It might have been the same game because the Bullets were playing the University of Maryland. Uh-huh. I was, was refereeing the game with, with Glenn Harris. And at the end of the game, Fred, um, the Bullets were down by a point. And I called a foul on Lenny Elmore, and it sent Truck Robinson to the free throw line. He made two free throws, and the Bullets won the game. And Len Elmore chased me around the gymnasium. <laughs> I had to run behind the scorer's table. He was chasing me for making the call. And now I did a Georgetown game with Len uh, on February, well, it was February 19th, I think, this past season. We did a game for Fox. Uh -huh. And he remembered exactly what happened. And he shook his head <laughs> when I brought it up. He said, I didn't think you were going to bring that up. I said, are you kidding me? Did Every he time I see you, I think you that. Did he realize? Oh, yeah, he knew. You? Okay. Hell, yeah. Yeah. And, and he knew. And I said, Fred, Lenny, I can't ever look at you and not think of that. So in the same, probably the same game, I had to whack Phil Chenier <laughs> and then call a foul on Lenny Elmore, who chased me around the gymnasium. You just got off to a bad start with us. Players. I did. I was, 
and clearly I should not have gone on to pursue the referee. Hey, I'm only glad that Earl wasn't there so you couldn't throw oh, him out of the game. Forget something. it, dude. I would never call a technical on Earl. That was not going to happen. I would have swallowed the whistle. So one of my – yeah. One quick story. We're, we're up Please. in um, – We're up in um, – in Canada, in uh, not not Toronto. What was the other place we were? Bank, not Vancouver. What was the team? Yeah, Vancouver. Oh yeah, Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a game. For some reason, we were on the road with the team, but we weren't televising the game. I don't know if it was a nationally televised game or whatever. So we're sitting, <laughs> we're sitting behind the basket, but on the floor there, you know, and it's you know it's not a lot of people there, so you know you can hear a lot of stuff. So. And, you know, Buck is a passionate person, period. He's a passionate announcer, but he's also a passionate fan. So, you know, if he sees something going wrong against his team, and there was a call that was made by God, I'm trying to the make, official. I, I would have to look at an old list because he's since retired, but I, if yeah. I saw the list, I'd remember who it was. It wasn't Lenny Wirtz, was it? No, no, Lenny Wirtz was way back. Okay, okay. We used to call him the irreducible Lenny Wirtz because he was about five foot one. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so we're sitting there and they make a call that goes against the bullets. And I mean, Buck is just letting this guy have it. And it was kind of in play because the guy, you know, the rep kind of looked over there to see where it was coming from. And I guess he made a mental note and they went down. When it came back and there was, I don't know, it was a free throw. He walked over and he pointed at Buck. He said, one more word out of you, and you're out of here. <laughs> I said, you're about to get us thrown out of a basketball game as fans. What yeah, is going and, on with and you? The, and the Bullets bench is over there, and they're all laughing and hollering. <laughs> yeah, I remember that like it was yesterday, and you're right. And I couldn't keep my mouth shut. And the guy walked right over and said, one more word, and you're out of here. I think I might have used – I might have said something like, what the hell kind of call was that? Yeah, I mean, and it wasn't I think, bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so he's right. I mean, we, we couldn't even sit around. But, you know, when I was little and I would go to Bullets games when I was, I mean, not that little, but when I was 15 or 16 or even 17, I remember being at the Cap Center and I remember getting on the referees. I would go down at halftime and scream at Jack Madden or Jake O'Donnell or somebody like that. And, you know, that's when you could walk behind the press table with nobody stopping you. Uh, and I'd scream out right at him, and uh, you know, I hope these guys never remembered who that kid was that was screaming at him. <laughs> yeah, that's so a good story, Phil. I forgot that one. The, I, I'm 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 perfectly happy hearing. I'm, my life is better having known both those stories right now. Uh, <laughs> I think this is as good of a time as any to plug the fact that uh, the reason that we're doing this podcast right now is because you guys have we're recording this on Tuesday, but this is going to come out on Friday the eighth. So the day this comes out. You guys have a podcast that's, right. that's coming out. Uh, you're both home with nothing to do all day, like the entire rest of the world. Is that what it takes for you guys to start a podcast? Well, it's certainly not monetary, Fred, because we ain't making any money. Uh, it has nothing to do with finances. We're, we're doing it because we've been talking about doing it for months. Fans have suggested that we do something. Uh, it's a way for us to get back together again. And, um, you know, look, what happened to us uh, at NBC Sports Washington, um, you know, I'm not going to elaborate on it now. We've t done that before. Phil still has some ties to them and also to Monumental Sports. So I don't want to get his ass in trouble. But um, 
you know, clearly uh, the way that I went out was not anything uh, planned for me and I, and, and, and it was unfortunate and I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go out that way. And Phil didn't want to go out the way he went out either. And I can tell you that, but at any rate, uh, it's a way for us to get back together again and hope that people uh, are looking forward to our re- being reunited, hope that they enjoy what we have to say, hope that they listen to our opinions about not only the Wizards, but other things that happen within not just the NBA, but around sports and these stories. I mean, that's the name of our podcast. It's On the Road with Buck and Phil, The Misadventures of Celebrity Travel. That's really the hook. And, um, and if you, so if you go to at Buck and Phil, you'll see that. And they've drawn up a really cute little, um, I guess you call it a meme or whatever, of, of us in a car driving, a little caricature. It's cute. Uh, but we, as you know, Fred, and you've heard a couple of these stories, over the course of 20 years, we saw a lot of things, a hell of a lot of things that made an impression on us some of which we can share, some of which even to this day we won't share, but many of the things that we will share that were heretofore not known or seen, things that happened with Michael Jordan, things that happened with Gilbert Arenas, uh, and all of that stuff. And we, we think fans will enjoy it. We hope they will. And that's why we decided to do this, for that reason and also because, as you said, we have absolutely nothing to do with our time. So, Phil, I want to ask you, the best, I know you like pranking Buck, the, 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 the best prank that I know of that you pulled on Buck was when Buck, you convinced Buck that you had a nicer hotel room than him. Yeah. <laughs> got, him got him all pissed about it, had him come up and knock on your door, slamming on the door to come see your room at 1230 in the morning, only you were messing with him and it wasn't your room at all and it turned out like an elderly lady opened the door yeah. and, and was like yes. that, that that's the most that, that's that's the ridiculous Phil Chenier on, on, on well TV. but but Fred I know? you know what it is it's it's knowing by this time I knew him frontwards and backwards you know and you know he always you know wants to have he feels like he has to have the best of everything now see fred wrote an article about this phil and it got me in trouble because it made me look like an asshole who made me look like hey who is this diva who is this special guy and here's let me just set the record straight for your your listeners fred people may be viewing folks from the athletic that were you know that you know looked at me and said what what kind of an asshole is this guy I mean, you know, here's the way I look at it. You told the story. I did tell the story. But, it come, but listen, you know this better than anybody, Fred. Um, when you read something in print, it's not the same as if you're talking to somebody over Zoom or in an interview or whatever it happens to be. You cannot get the same context across by reading something that you can in a personal interview. So having said that, uh, Listen, we stayed at beautiful hotels because of the collective bargaining agreement, Ritz's and uh, Ritz Carlton's, Four Seasons, the nicest hotels in America for the most part. And, you know, listen, I'm, Phil and I are both in our 60s. He's about to become 70 not long from now. Yeah, and, I'm, not, uh, I'm, not in, I'm not long in my 60s. <laughs> yeah, right. You're about Thank to go goodness. out of Thank it. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and which tells you that I'm going to be 65 soon. And all I can say is when we went to these places, Fred, I've been in this business for 46 years, okay? Uh, 
22 with the Wizards at the time. And I just wanted to be comfortable, man. If I'm going to be traveling on the road, I want to be comfortable. That's all. I'm not asking for the honeymoon suite. I just want to make sure I have a nice room that's not But if you get the, the elevator. honeymoon suite, you're not going to turn it back, though, are you? Hell no. <laughs> no, if they're going to give it to me, I'm taking it. But I don't want to be near the elevator. I don't want to be near the ice machine. I don't want to be near the housekeeping closet. That's all. I'm not asking for a lot. Just give me a room on the corner of the hotel and I'm happy. So okay. that's really it. You prefaced right, my story. May I finish my story? You now? may finish your story. <laughs> so I know how this guy thinks. We were in L.A. one time. And, and again, I just happened to get this, this room that had this beautiful bathroom suite. Remember, I had the jacuzzi. I had the bidet. I yeah. had you know, really marble sinks and everything yeah. Yeah. in a Marriott. It, you know, so, and he came up and saw that he went crazy. And, and I think he, wanted, he tried to get a room like mine or something. <laughs> so fast forward, we're in Philadelphia. It's late. We had played, we had come from, I think, Miami or something. And, and got in, and we had a game the next day. So I get in. We'd already said we we're going to meet down for drinks before the bar closed, so it was after midnight. And so as soon as I drop my stuff, uh, I get this call and uh, said, hey, it's me. Uh, and I knew that he had come in because uh, I saw this guy coming down the, 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 the hallway with feathered pillows. Buck asked for three feathered pillows everywhere he goes. So this guy's walking down with these three feathered pillows. I said, must be Buck. So I said, oh, is that for uh, Buck ass? He said, yeah. I said, that's me. Come on, follow me. And then he happened to be, the room that he was going to was right next to mine. So anyway, I get this call and Buck says, what's, what's your room look like? You know, and it was just a plain room. And I just said, I got a suite, huh? I said, I've got a bar and, you know, beautiful view outside the window. I'm looking all over Philadelphia and wow. He said, really? What room are you in? I said, uh, say I was in, because we were on like the fourth floor. I said, I'm, you know, instead of 420, I said, I'm in 1020. I, I'm a bit, and so before I could even say anything, he's hung the phone up. Before I hang my phone up, I could hear his door closing behind him. And I said, well, you'll find out sooner or later. So I go downstairs, and I'm with the guys, and I tell them the story. I said, yeah, man, I got Buck this time. And all of a sudden, here comes Buck. I mean, fumes is coming out. He said, you little motherfucker, you, you know what you did to me? <laughs> I said, what? He said, I knocked on some woman's door. and said, some little old lady came and said, what? You know. <laughs> so... And I didn't, I didn't, you know, it just kind of happened that way, but it was a great get. I got it that time. Yeah, it was what's, a good what's prank. the best one I don't know about? Uh, the best, um, well, probably. Well, the all-time story, but you probably heard this one, Fred, about Indianapolis getting thrown out of the cab. Oh, the cab story. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, that's by far my, you know, I, I will go to my grave thinking about that story. Yeah, I mean. Again, we, we traveled everywhere together. We went to the games together. Uh, we would uh, normally take a cab to the game unless we could all get together with Glenn and Dave and take an Uber or something. 
So we're not far from the arena in Indianapolis, the hotel we stayed. It was a beautiful um, uh, Conrad Hotel, part of the Hilton, and it was really nice. And um, the arena is like six blocks from there. So we are going to get into this cab, and Phil's in there first. Generally, I was in the cab first and had to wait for <laughs> Phil, but this time he was in there ahead of me. And um, I get in, and I've got a um, – you know, I got a, a Diet Coke and a, like a, a Crackers bar. or a, a Snickers bar, Snickers bar, mm-hmm. something like that. And we both get in the back. And as I'm getting in the cab, I'm looking at the cab driver, and he's a kind of a gruff, you know, looking guy. Big dude, got a cigar, burly, you know. And he's eyeing me as I get in this cab. And I'm looking at him in the mirror, rearview mirror. And I, I can see him looking at me. And, you know, so he gets in, and we pull away from the hotel. And he looks, I can see him looking back at me, you know, and I'm eating this, my Snickers bar and got the soda. And I, I, I can tell he's, something's bothering him. And finally he looks back and looks over at us and he looks at me and he says, uh, you know, normally I don't allow people to eat or drink in my cab. Now, I tried to bite my tongue as much as I could, but I, I'm not good at that. Well, let me, and, let me interject something first. Yeah. Buck, yep. Buck got into the cab with an attitude, too, because in his process of checking out, if things don't go absolutely perfect, and you, you've heard, of, you've heard of, of staff people saying, oh, Mr. Buckants, how, are you, how, was your, how was your stay? You know, right. It's a rhetorical question. They're not <laughs> asking for you to analyze and evaluate the, 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 the level of the hotel. But They don't want the real Buck, answer. Yeah, yeah. So Buck said, oh, this happened, that happened, and this happened. And then they had some charge on his bill. So that's why, because he's right. Normally, he's in the cab before me. But now I'm in the cab waiting for him. And I can see it, you know, hands going all over the place. And he's, you know, I said, oh, he's going to come in. And then now I'm looking at this guy at the cab who was eh, kind of a redneck, you know. <laughs> so, so he, you know, he's got the cigar and he's looking around because I told him I got to wait for my partner, you know. So he's got an attitude. I see Buck Walker. Buck's got an attitude. I said, this ain't going well at all. Now, so now pick up your story. Not a good combination. So he looks at me and says, normally I don't allow people to eat or drink in my cab. And I'm, I, I paused and I tried to bite my tongue, but I couldn't. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, but you smoked that nasty cigar in here. And uh, <laughs> that clearly was the wrong thing to say. So now – this guy is really not happy and we're driving and he's getting madder and madder and I'm not happy and we can tell something's about to happen here. And we get about two blocks from the arena and he pulls this cab over and he looks back at me. He says, that's it. I've heard enough out of here. And I'm like, he says, get out. So I get my bag and I get out <laughs> and he turns around and he looks at Phil and he says, and you too, out. <laughs> Poor guy hadn't said the first word and gets kicked out of the cab. And the two of us now have to walk the rest of the way to the arena after getting kicked out of this cab by this burly cab driver. Oh, man. Hey, Fred, and I'm sitting back there like a little scared puppy, you know, like, is he going to say something? What? Buck, I don't have a cab. What? Do I get out with him? Do I stay in the cab? What? You know, do we pay him? You know. And that's when he turned around. He answered the question. He said, and you two, out. You know, so I scooted out. We walked the rest of the Poor way. Poor Phil, the guy hadn't said the first word, and he gets thrown out. 
Oh man, Phil. Phil, I'm I'm curious because because Buck brought up uh, brought up some of this, or at least alluded to it a little bit before. So a few years ago, you got your numbers retired, and yeah. there was there was like a there was in, in factions of the fan base a, a not too welcomed reaction to part of it, just the timing of it. I mean, not you actually getting your number retired, just mm-hmm. how it was um, aligned with you leaving the booth. What was your reaction to the timing? Uh, to to what the number being retired? The, the number being retired right as you were leaving the the booth calling Wizards games. Well, obviously the the number being retired was just an ecstatic uh, feeling of of elation, gratitude. You know, uh, finally, finally, finally getting there because you know there was for years Buck would mention something like that over the air. Uh, we had our good friend Willie Davis who uh, had made mention to that. But, you know, you never want to get your hopes up. You don't know how those things are, are decided or whatnot. So that was a, a great feeling, you know. Uh, the idea that this was going to be my last year, obviously I, I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to continue, you know. But, you know, the, the decision was made that uh, they wanted to, you know, go in another direction and, bring somebody else in and uh, that this was the time for them to make a change. So, you know, it, it didn't sit well with me, but all things must come to an end. I mean, that's the kind of way I, I look at it, you know? And um, so I was very fortunate from the standpoint that, you know, this uh, getting the Jersey retired certainly took away a lot of the bitter taste of, you know, this being my, this being my last year, um, now now I'm even getting confused. Was was I still doing the games that year? Or was that the yeah, following year? You were because uh, when we re- when we raised it to the rafters, um, you, uh, wow. you were standing. Funny and, how you forget? No, it is. It is actually because I'm I'm pretty sure that you were. We were standing there looking up at it. I have a picture actually of you looking up at the at the jersey. So yeah. it, it had yeah. to be. You had to be still there. Now, but let me just say this, Fred, because Phil, you know, Phil said it as eloquently as, as you could say. Um, this is something that should have happened 20 years ago. Um, and the fact that it happened the year that it was announced that he was going to be his last year uh, is a little more than coincidental. So I, I know what you're getting at, Fred, and I can clear that up for you and just say that um, – yeah, that was that was that was done to make Phil's exit a little more palatable by everybody and especially by the organization. Okay, uh, like I said, should have been done twenty years ago. Now that's not an easy thing to do, and I can understand how owners have to think about it for a while and what have you. But the four players that were up there ahead of him were all his teammates, and he he clearly should have yeah. been up there with them, and now is up there with them. But again, um, the fact that they waited that long to do it and they did it the year that they said that he, it was going to be his last, you know, that, that didn't sit well with me. I know it didn't sit well with Phil. He won't sit there and tell you that. But, uh, and, a, and, a lot of, and, and it was difficult to hide from a lot of people. They were like, hey, man, come on. You're just doing this because you're letting the guy go. So that's unfortunate. And, uh, but, but the fact that he's up there now, and it was a great thrill for all of us. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm blessed because 
when we retired Earl Monroe's jersey, they allowed me to do that ceremony as well. And we did it live on TV as, as well as obviously right there in the, in the arena. And I have the pictures of it right here in my office. And that was a, that was huge for me. I mean, that was one of the most exciting days of my career was to be able to be on the floor with Earl Monroe and watch that number 10 orange bullets Jersey get taken up to the rafter. And then when I got to do the same thing for Phil, they let me sort of host that ceremony. That was, that was just as big, if not bigger. So the fact that I got to do that for both of my favorite players of all time, man, I feel blessed to do it no matter when it happened. And, you know, again, it's water under the bridge. Phil's Jersey is up there where it belongs right now. And, um, it is what it is, however it was done. But the fact that it was done, good. And, and it, he deserves to be up there. Buck, you have a favorite dagger call or top three or top five dagger calls? Yeah, I do. And I think Phil and I's call are the same one. And, in fact, I just saw somebody tweeted a picture not long ago, and I have it. I saved the picture. It is game five of the series against the Bulls in Chicago when Gilbert Arenas hits the game-winning dagger. I mean, there, is, there has never been a, a more dramatic call, in my opinion or estimation, for, for us than that call because of all of the things involved. It was a huge game. It was in Chicago in a tremendously hostile environment. We had been up, and then we went down. In yeah. a couple of instances, we, we were behind. And um, the fact that he hit this shot over Kirk Heinrich and who else was it? Noah, Tyson maybe? Tyson Chandler. Tyson, Tyson Chandler's Chandler. coming out, yeah. Yeah, and the, the, if you look at the picture, his form is so perfect. He's yeah. leaning back. His elbow's perfect. Got Heinrich reached out right in his face. He's a, you can tell that his shot is going to have to go over both these guys. And when it went in, you know, I screamed dagger. Phil screamed something. And then I remember saying something like, uh, Gilbert Arenas has just sucked the life out of the uh, 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 fans here in their own – arena something like that uh, it was pretty apropos and it came off the top of my head I don't know how but it did and it was it was to me that was the most dramatic thing because when you do something on the road like that in a playoff game in Chicago okay that's you, you could name like a, on one hand five arenas that would be that dramatic Chicago obviously Boston maybe Staples Center I don't know um, there aren't many Chicago is right up there at the top of the list. Hey, Buck, and if you think about it, if you stop and think about it, that was the beginning of Agent Zero because from that point on, the following year, that was in the playoffs. The other thing about that is that got us into the second round of the playoffs, and we hadn't done that since I played, actually. And uh, so it was really exciting for the organization. But Gilbert hit that shot just like he knew exactly what he was doing. Yep. And it was cool and calm. And the following year was the year that he started hitting all of those game winners, remember? And, sure, and again, absolutely. And again, I think that was the beginning of that, that, whole, that whole image of him uh, being Agent Zero. Yeah, and there were a lot of dagger calls uh, that following year, Fred. Uh, and there were obviously many, uh, you know, several of them with Bradley Beal or John Wall. Uh, but never, never as uh, dramatic or critical as that as that Gilbert shot. That was, that's something I'll always think about. That will go down in my mind as the best dagger call I ever made. 
how conscious are you in the moment of, I mean, I imagine you've been, you're a broadcaster for such a long time. You've been one for, you know, Lord knows how many decades. How conscious are you in the moment of, all right, this is obviously a huge moment. This call needs to do the moment justice because people are going to be looking at this or thinking about this or writing about this or whatever it ends up being for a long time. There's so many great sports moments and for almost all of those great sports moments, you know, we have a, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant. Like that's just synonymous with that moment as the actual Bobby Thompson home run, right? Mm-hmm, right. So the announcer moment ends up just as in great. Like how conscious are you in the actual moment of like, all right, this is, this has got to match the, the magnificence of this actual time that I'm in. I don't think that you think about it ahead of time. Now, there are some sports where you do. For instance, I'm sure... Well, I'm not positive, but I would think that uh, Jim Nance would have to think about something that's going to happen at the end of the Masters, all right? Tiger Woods has the lead going into the last hole. Now he's he's got to be thinking about what call he's going to make when Tiger Woods wins that tournament because it's got to be somewhat dramatic. Of course, obviously, you know, in your life, you know, I mean, great call. Um I think golf, you can think about that perhaps ahead of time. Same thing with the NCAA championship game. You know who the two teams are. So you know that if one of them is a Cinderella team and they win the game, then you can say something about, you know, you can, you can think about that kind of stuff ahead of time. I never really thought about anything ahead of time. I knew that if it was a game winner, it would probably be a dagger, especially if it was for the Wizards. I wasn't calling it for the other team, but I wasn't consciously, I wouldn't consciously go in and think a perfect example would be the Michael Ruffin play. Okay. When Gilbert Arenas missed the free throws. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now there's like six seconds on the clock. He misses the free throw. All right. The ball comes down, you know, it comes, actually, I think he made the shot and the ball was inbounded. Okay. And it comes to Michael Ruffin and Michael Ruffin standing there with it. And the next thing you know, he throws it way up into the air, and it's caught by Morris Peterson, and Mo Pete just flails away at the basket, and the damn thing goes in. And all I can think to myself is that it's not possible that this happened in that span of time, okay? That's what I was thinking. I'm thinking six seconds. This had to take way more than six seconds. And that thing went in, and all I could think about was what I screamed out at the time, which was not possible. It's not possible. And that's all I could think about. And that went on to be, you know, a pretty big call. So I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about that ahead of time. And I don't think most, most announcers are, you know, you can formulate something if you want to, but for the most part, especially if you have a signature call, you're not thinking about it as the game is happening. What you're thinking about is uh, the situation and you want to make sure you have that right. So now you know you got 2.8 seconds on the clock. So-and-so is going to inbound the ball. Uh, no timeouts remaining. You have all of these things in your head so that you can convey that to the audience so that you've set up the play properly so that once, that, once the ball comes inbound, then, then the play takes its course. It's course. Uh, so that's, I don't think about stuff ahead of time. Luckily, sometimes it comes out right. Sometimes you flub it and it doesn't come out right. But hopefully if it's a big game, at the right moment, it's it's done well. I always enjoy the really, really good play-by-play calls that are short and simple but have something a little bit 
the offer different about them. Like sure. I, I, I was thinking about the other day because the, the Michael Ruffin thing came across my timeline on Twitter as it does like once every two weeks. And I was thinking about it the other day because the call is not possible, not possible. And I feel like the reason that call sticks with people is because if you're just speaking in just normal vernacular conversation, you would say impossible. And I was right. wondering, like, I wonder if that call would have the same reaction if you said impossible instead of not possible. And I feel like not possible is just a much better call there because it's just a little bit different than impossible. You know, it's more, it's more memorable. I don't yeah. know why it is, but there's just a little, a little more quirk to it. You know what yeah, I mean? I, I, I know what you're saying. And I, it just came out that way. I guess I could have said impossible, but in my head, I'm just thinking to myself, that, that was not, that's not possible. And, uh, and, th- and that's how it came out. So yeah, you're right. I, I, I agree with you. I like little, like, like Vern Lundquist's call, you know, in, at the, uh, at the masters, you know, when he says in your life, I mean, that, I love Vern Lundquist. I just think, you know, I, I love announcers who, and listen, we all have our favorites. We all have guys that we don't care for. I'm never going to name names of guys I don't care for. I've always talked about guys who I love and think are great. Um, I like guys who aren't enamored with their own voice. There, there's too many guys that are just so enamored with their own voice that it, you lose sight of what they're doing. I like guys sort of like, um, well, I think Jim Nance is great, but I love Ian Eagle uh, because he just he's so good. He's sharp. He's got a little bit of humor and wit to him. If you if you know him, he's very funny, uh, and he just calls a really good game without letting other things get in the way. Al Michaels is the same way. There's nobody better than Al Michaels. He's he's the best there is. So I, I just that's that's sort of my criteria. And there's some guys who are screaming and yelling all the time. And that's the great thing about Phil. You know, the other thing we didn't mention about Phil. You know, people have said to me, well, you know, what if, we, what if you had a guy like Dick Vitale or whatever? Well, Dick Vitale is great at what he does. But I don't know if you could listen to that for 82 games a year because there's a lot of screaming and yelling and, and insanity going on. And that's, that's a lot for 82 games. When you do a local team's broadcast and you do 82 games or more because you've got preseason and playoffs, uh, you've got to be comfortable with somebody. And Phil is not the quintessential screaming and yelling and hollering color commentator you know he's very well thought um his voice is great uh very calm and collected and until he uh, you know until it's time to start screaming uh, so um uh, which is fine but but until that's calls you a motherfucker made, in the middle of the court yeah well hopefully <laughs> luckily never did that on the air or our careers would have ended a lot sooner yeah, a lot sooner but uh but he was a kind of guy that you felt comfortable with listening to for 82 games because you don't want somebody that's screaming and yelling. I, I don't think I could have taken that as a, as a broadcaster, as a partner, a play-by-play guy. So it was very easy. I always felt our broadcasts were easy to listen to because he just was so smooth and easy to listen to and smart and all of that stuff. Anything you guys want to add? So the podcast is on the road with Buck and Phil. It debuts yep, on and Friday, I'm, I'm told, May 8th. You know, you know more about this than we do, Fred, because we don't know anything about it. But I'm told that uh, it will be available on Apple. Uh, it will be on, I guess, Spotify, on maybe SoundCloud. I don't know. Um, am I, tell, tell us how it works, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Please. It's, it's up to you guys. So for me, I'm available. I think I'm available everywhere. I don't know. I got a producer on this call. Andrew, you want to 
<laughs> Andrew, you want to come in and tell <laughs> people Ew, how Ew. the podcast works? I just talk, and then it Andrew just took the rest of the day off, Fred. Yeah. That's where your producer is. <laughs> it gets posted yeah. on the internet. Yeah, you're available anywhere. Anywhere where podcasts okay. are posted. Yeah. So I'm told that they have cleared this with Apple and, um, and whatever, uh, what other outlets there are. And uh, I guess ours will drop the same time yours will, Fred, or the same day anyway. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to it. And I will, will say this for anybody that will be listening to our podcast. Our first guest was David Falk, who's been making the rounds. He's like the local rock star now. And he, and he was on with us. He was on with us for about an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, if you know David, he'll go forever. And he does. And he had some fascinating things to, to say. However, having said that, we've had to split his interview up and running it in two parts. We're running it in our first podcast. And then we're running it again the following Friday uh, because we just, it was too long. Plus, Phil and I talked about a lot of other things. So we had to split them up. So if anybody is watching that and they're wondering, well, why didn't he talk about this or why didn't he talk about that? Um, you will hear that in the second, in the second pod pe- podcast, which will be a week from Friday. Great. And uh, you can check that out, I guess, anywhere where podcasts are. You got it on Apple, Apple Podcasts. At least check it out there. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark. You can, uh, if you're just randomly listening to this episode, you can subscribe, I guess, as you just heard, anywhere you can you can go on itunes and and leave a review that always really helps give five stars give five stars to on the road with buck and phil too while you're at it thank you Uh, nice to have some new wizards podcasts in the group i guess we're competitors now i really shouldn't be having you on the podcast at all should be slandering you on the air nobody (laughs) listening to this thing guys are hacks what do they know how about we do it this way listen to both of them listen to fred's and listen to ours Lord, Lord knows if you're listening to this, you have spare time. So listen, listen to all of it and, and you'll be good. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic. It, it's, I, I really am incredibly proud of the coverage that we've been putting out and, and not just the Wizards coverage, but, but everything. Our big, I say this all the time, but our baseball coverage, our baseball team is so good. So if you're, yeah, if it's, you're a, it's the way you have to go in, in today's age because locally, and I still read the Post and I grew up reading the Post and the other papers here in town, but. Um, and I enjoyed USA Today when it was running, but um, but but the athletic is where you get really the inside information. Fred does a great job covering the Wizards. Uh, I see, obviously, David Aldridge is local, and of course, he's been on the Last Dance, and and he's great. So many of the folks are local. You know, you think about it, Will Bond, and and um, obviously DA, and then there's just so many other guys. We have this area, Fred, I know you're a New Yorker, but um, you think about the the people that have come out of this area, uh, both local broadcasters who have reached a high level, and obviously national broadcasters like James Brown and uh, Mike Patrick and uh, Tony Roberts and Kevin uh, Kiley and uh, uh, Tim Brandt. I mean, I could go on and on and on uh, about the local broad, Gus Johnson, uh, even though he's from Detroit, he, he, he worked with us at Channel 5. And I could go on and talk about all these great national broadcasters who um, came out of D.C. We, we've had a lot of them. It's a, it's a rich area for, for broadcast talent. Well, I've thought about it a lot because there have been so many great Wizards beat writers. Like, I, I'm following in the footsteps of like David Aldridge and Michael Lee and Rachel Nichols was in, Steve Weiss. in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, there are incredible. They do free. Yes. Amazing Wizards beat writers. And yeah, it's like, 
it's like, man, it's, it's, it's like how I feel because I'm a Yankees fan. So it's, I imagine you sign with the Yankees and you get there and you're like, well, I guess I'm not going to be top five in the history of this franchise. Yeah, it's right. like, that's, that's how you feel getting here. It's like, well, you know, okay, good luck catching David Aldridge, you know? Yeah, no, uh, that's a good point because uh, even if you just think about the writers at, at the Post and even, even the other papers here, you know, guys like Tom Lavero and those guys, but you look at all the guys who came through the Post you know, and, and many of them now have reached national status. The obvious ones are Kornheiser and Wilbon. You know, and Tony years ago just wrote in the style section, uh, you know, and he was so good that they wanted him all over the place. And, uh, you, and you wanted to read these guys. And then, you, you know, you had all these other writers that came through the post that were just, you know, Tom Boswell. I mean, come on, there's not a better baseball writer in America. And uh, the, the list goes on and on and on for the, the writers who came out of the post. And then the other writers that we know that we had here, Rudy Marchke at USA Today. And I mentioned Lavero and, and uh, Len, uh, Len Shapiro. I mean, all of these guys, man, they're just this area. Just really, we're, we're blessed to have so many great writers and so many great announcers. Yeah, and if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, if you listen to this podcast, but you're not an athletic subscriber and you want to sign up, we're doing a 90-day free trial. You can go to any of my stories, just like head to Twitter and you can click on a story that I have out there, click on the link, and you'll be able to sign up very easily for a 90-day free trial there. So that's three months of free sports coverage that you don't have to put a dime on the line for in order to, to get don't any read of the that. story that Fred wrote about me because you think I'm an <laughs> asshole, and I'm really not. You know, I, I, I like to be comfortable. Did I try to get us at a couple of restaurants to get us – Seated when we didn't have a reservation, yeah. But anybody would do that. You tell me some person that's never that's handed a matron. Story, d. That's tell, story. You tell me some person that's never today. handed a matron d ten bucks to you know f- to help them out. Okay, then that's basically what we did. So come on, give me a break. Well, you can you can read that story and more if yeah. you sign up. Uh, if you want to sign up for for forty percent off on an annual subscription. You can go to theathletic.com slash wizards after dark. Again, that's theathletic.com slash wizards after dark. And it gets you 40% off on an annual subscription, which comes out to about 30, not about, comes out to $36 for the full year. So I think it's a great investment. Guys, this was awesome. Thanks yeah, so much thanks, for taking Fred. the time. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I'll be back with another episode next week. I'll talk to you guys then. <laughs>